So glad that you're here. Thanks for coming on Super Bowl Sunday. Great turnout for a Super Bowl Sunday. Let me just tell you, I'm just very impressed that you're letting go of your sinfulness and uh, all of that. So, but enough about you. Um, yeah, so uh, thanks for coming to Outward this morning. My name is Matt. I'm one of the uh, teaching pastors here uh, and uh, leader of vision here along with the elders. And so I uh, just want to thank you for coming out this morning. If you're here and you're not familiar with church or this is your first time or this is your first time kind of back trying church out again, we hope that your experience today is awesome. And not because you agree with everything that we say, but we just want you to be able to experience something of God at, while you're investigating. So thanks for coming and entrusting us with that very big responsibility uh, through the power of God to help lead you into his presence. So I, I hope that's why you're here. Um, we are uh, in the middle of a series on James, and I'm going to get to that in just a second. I want to bring up Katie Franken. Um, and uh, Katie is, yes, can we give her a hand? You don't even know what she does. Just clap for her. Just clap. <laughs> can you come over here? Um, yeah, so we have a new volunteer coordinator, and she is Katie Franken. And she is uh, awesome. She's been serving in a number of capacities at our church. And so um, one of the reasons why we've brought her on is to help connect our church body with, with what's going on. Tell us a little bit about what your role is and what you're here to do. Um, well, besides sporting this awesome big sign every <laughs> Sunday morning, um, I am aware of the many opportunities to serve it Outward, whether it's in the church or over at Richmond. And I can help people get plugged in and um, find where it best suits them to serve and just um, perhaps experimenting a little of one area. And if that's not the right fit, experimenting in another area and, and finding where God is calling them to serve. Yeah, yeah. So your, your role is essentially to figure out what's going on in each of these different areas, ministries on Sunday, stuff that we're doing at Richmond Elementary, right? And you're aware of what the needs are. And, and so what's, what's happening there is that you're able to help someone navigate, okay, where, where should I go? Where's my best fit? And so if somebody signs up for something, is that like from now until the day that they die? No, they it's not a death that sentence. That is, that is not, it's not a no. death sentence. Okay, okay. And so what is it, when someone signs up and says, okay, I want to try this out, what's that mean for them? Um, well, it's an excellent opportunity for them to grow as a disciple. Um, we are called to um, ministry as disciples of Christ, and ministry simply means to serve, mm -hmm. and, and that's exactly what they're being given the opportunity to do. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So uh, where can they find you, and um, yeah, where, where will you be at the end of service? Um, well, I'm always out in Ground Central at yeah. the end of service, well, from here on out, and um, <laughs> And, of course, I can also be contacted through katie at outwardchurch.com. That's right. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you so much for serving that capacity. And thank you. Yes. Thank you. Awesome. We give her a hand. Yeah. So uh, part of the reason why we've brought Katie on is because there's so many things that are happening, and we have so many people that are so great at leading teams. And uh, so we want to help connect you with what's going on at the uh, at the church, and so, and not just at the church, but we are uh, seriously committed to ministering to our community, and so we want to help you get plugged in with that, and so she's going to be informed of all, all of those opportunities. A couple of things uh, that you should know about is uh, at Richmond Elementary, we're bringing this up every Sunday right now because it is a huge push that we have to talk about the opportunities at Richmond Elementary. As Outward Church, our belief is this, is that we should make our community better. Like our, church, our, our community should be sad if we go away. And so, uh, and not because we're forcing that on them, but because we seriously believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ changes our lives when we uh, love Jesus. And then as a result of that, we live outward. We live on mission. The way that Jesus came and served us, we want to serve other people. And so what that looks like at Richmond Elementary is soccer, uh, we do a soccer club there, and these are for kids that at night need to be, uh, or in the evening, uh, during that period, that critical period between the end of school and when parents get off, they need to be in some type of program because 
There are, there's gang violence. There's things like that going on. There's kids that are not allowed to go home while their parents are, um, are gone, and so they're outside. They're not able to go inside. They're, they're not able to uh, be with an adult or anything like that. So this is a positive reinforcement. That's the soccer program. Secondly, we have kids that aren't eating over the weekend. There, there are kids that go home on Friday night knowing that the last meal that they got at lunchtime on Friday was the last time they're going to eat until Monday at lunchtime or if they have the, the breakfast program, maybe Monday um, at breakfast time. So we see that as a huge responsibility. We don't care that these kids don't go to our church because that's not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls us to serve people with needs in our community. And so there are kids that are hungry at uh, Richmond Elementary. Uh, last count I heard was 77 kids. 77 children are not eating over the weekend or to some degree or another. So what the school has done is they've put together some backpacks. We can fill the need of bringing food to the school and uh, packing it, we may do it here, we might do it actually at the school, but you can sign up for that. And here's another thing. We should have put these on your seats, but they're not on your seat. I, I hope that everyone goes home and buys uh, peanut butter snacks, uh, snack packs, crackers, pudding cups, cereal, granola bars, apples, oranges. Those are, those are things that we want to put in these backpacks and we're going to load them in there. We need people to help serve to put them in. We need people to help uh, bring them. This is a tangible need that you can be a part of. If you believe that Jesus went to the cross for you, you and I have a responsibility to help serve in that way. And lastly is this, is mentoring. Some of you have the ability to mentor somebody at uh, a local school, at, at Richmond especially. And so what we want to do is we want, we want to be able to serve there by hanging out with some of these kids. And so that uh, mentoring program, you can also sign up for that right out at Grand Central. Please get involved with this if you are a part of Outward Church especially. We want to see that happen. We're going to be in James chapter 4, the end of chapter 4. I've taken on a huge uh, task, so you, you can turn there, of, of trying to finish up the book of James today. And as you can see, if we're in 4, that's going to be the end of 4 and all the way through 5. And that may be a, a, a little bit uh, much, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. And, uh, and we'll go on from there. But we've been talking about what it looks like to get along in the church he says at the top of chapter 4, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? And he says, Your passions are at war within you. You have these deep desires, and this is what's taking place. And so what James is saying is he's saying, like, here's some practical advice on how to get along as church members, how to get along within our, our church. It also applies to how we get along within the context of our city. But today, he's going to enter into the idea of what it looks like to be a Christian on the ground. A lot of times when you come to church, we'll talk about things that are like 30,000 feet up. There's just an overview. And then we, you know, a lot of times maybe you're told to try to figure that out, how that works out in your life on your own. James is so practical that he's going to help us with some key things. Now, if I were to ask you, what does it look like to desire God? What does it look like to live in the reality of the gospel and to depend on God? Because ultimately, that's what it means to be a Christian. It means to depend on God, to have a dependence on him. And many times, we don't understand what that looks like because there's something that's going on in our minds that is a habit. It's a habit that's taking place, and it's this repeated habit over and over again. It's been ingrained in us from the very beginning. But what's happening here, what God promises is new life. And so something has to take place. Something has to, this habit has to be changed. And the habit is this. The habit is dependence upon self. It's dependent upon, dependence upon self and what I can do and what I can make of myself. I, I've had uh, a couple of different points in my life where I went through like a devastating realization that I am a moron, right? I, I went through this period in my life where I, I just was like, man, I've got some problems and my problems are rooted in that I think that I'm controlling my life. I think that I know what's best for me. I think that this should take place or that should take place. I was just telling someone I was down in California for about nine months, uh, many years ago, and I, I was down there and I, and I had gotten involved in an internship. I was interning at a local church. My life was wrapped around 
The idea of working and serving at a local church, I didn't care how God did it. I just, I wanted to give my life to God in every way possible. And so I had availed myself for free to this internship. And so I went down there. But in the process of being in this internship, one of the things that I realized is that people in the church are really, really, really messed up a lot of times, right? And I am one of those. People in church are messed up. Let's just be honest about it. You can read some of the church signs around the city and just go, that looks like a jacked up church, right? I mean, like, we, that's why we took our sign down. We didn't want anybody to know how jacked up we were, right? And so <laughs> we used to have a reader board out here. We gave it to the, the uh, door shop next door. But you can tell that churches are messed up, and that's what I found out, is that churches are messed up. And so I ended up having to make some choices during that period of time that I felt like were dependent upon my, my character, dependent on making that choice. I was no longer going to be in this ministry. And as a matter of character, I needed to step out of it because of some things that were happening there. And so I stepped out of that, and as soon as I stepped out of that ministry role, I remember sitting on my couch having the closest thing that I could possibly imagine to some type of anxiety attack. And I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm hyperventilating, I'm just like, I just, I, I don't know what this is, I'm not sure what's happening, I'm, I'm I, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm about to cry, I feel, you know, just all kinds of weird emotions, and so I, I, I'm sitting there trying to figure this out, this is also very recently after this, I met my wife, and she said, I believe in you. And I was like, I don't feel like anybody believes in me. And she said, I do. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. But I was so torn up by this loss of ministry. And my life was kind of in the pits because things didn't happen the way that I thought that they should take place. And here's what the reality is, is that I was a guy who decided that I wanted to serve God, and yet the truth is all that was was lip service to God. All it was was lip service. I wanted it to be more, but what I didn't realize is that it wasn't more. And so often, so many of us, like you have a desire to follow God oftentimes. You have a desire, but matching your, your lips with your life is so difficult, isn't it? It's so difficult to match what I say that I want with how my life actually uh, happens. It's, it's like trying to change a habit in your life where, where you're like, I, I don't really know what takes place. Like, I want to get to this point where I'm losing weight or I'm eating healthy, but it's just like, it just doesn't seem to play out in my life. It just doesn't seem to happen. I want to go to bed early, or I want to read more, or I want to, whatever, save more money. We have these habits in our life that we want to establish, but we can't seem to do it. And one of the best habits that you can establish in your life is dependence upon God. And how many of us could say that I'm truly dependent on God? What I believe that James does for us here is James helps us understand uh, how or what it looks like to actually be a Christian and to practice dependence upon God. And so I want to read the entire passage, and we'll see if we get through the whole thing today, and we'll go from there. So uh, chapter 4, verse 13, says this. Come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like a fire." You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. 
Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone suffering? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Okay, that was uh, a lot of scripture. But here's, here's the point. I think there's a major theme going through here. We've been talking about how don't, don't follow your heart. The, the word from our world, everything in our world is saying, follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. And what we are saying is the opposite. Do not follow your heart. Because your heart is deceitful above all else. My heart is deceitful above all else. You cannot trust your feelings all of the time. Certainly God works through a sense that we have. But that has got to be confirmed through the scriptures. And so we're saying, don't follow your heart. Follow God. Depend on God. Submit yourselves to God. Be under him and depend on him. So what James is saying here. He's saying that there's four key areas that we have got to put under the dependence of God. He says, he says essentially how you plan, how you act when you're prosperous, how you deal with problems, and how you pray. These are four key areas, your plans, your prosperity, your problems, and your prayers. These things are going to be dictated by, by how you're dependent upon God. So the first thing that he talks about here is he says, he says, come now, you who say this. And come now is essentially, you could equate that with, hey, look, hey, listen up, come now. He's talking to us who are Christians especially. And he's saying this, listen up here for just a second. Listen to what I'm about to say, because this is really important it is really important that you understand something. At the beginning of everything in your life is the way that you plan the things that are taking place in your life. The way that you put things together. As I told you, in my life, I had this plan of what I wanted my internship to look like. And when it didn't go like that, what happened? I had deep anxiety, deep depression. Sometimes our depression, our anxiety, our worries are coming from the plans that we make. And James says this, you who say today or tomorrow we will go, this is where we're going to go. We're going to go to such and such a town. We're, this is how long we're going to be there. And we're going to, and this is what we're going to do while we're there. And we're going to get rich by doing that. We're going to make a profit. And what's he say? He says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You have no idea what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what's, what's taking place. When you're trying to depend on God, the very first thing that has to happen is this, is that you have to be willing to say 
that I do not know what tomorrow will bring. I do not know what's going to take place as a result of what's happening in my life. I don't know what's going to take place, and so therefore, there's something in me that has to look at God and say, but God does know. But God does know. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then, van- and then vanishes. What is your life? You're a mist. You're, you're here today, you're gone tomorrow. And you think, and I think, that somehow we can control the events of our lives through the plans that we make. How many times have you heard, if you have a goal, write it down? I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm saying those goals should be informed by God. I, was, uh, I saw in the news last night that 20 years ago, yesterday, was the flood of 1996. Do you know how old I, I, I feel saying that? I remember the flood back in 1990, back in 96. And all, here, here's what happened in 1996. I was uh, a 19-year-old. I was working for a guy. He had a cool blue truck. And we were working, and uh, the, the rains came down, and the floods came up, and the rains came down, and the floods came up. And, um, and what was taking place was uh, we were getting a little worried. <coughs> and my, my uh, girlfriend at the time, um, whom I'm very glad I did not marry, right? I, I, I married this lovely lady with the red hair. And so um, I, uh, I, so the girlfriend at the time, she lived right next to the river. And so um, my boss said, hey, why don't you take my truck and um, go help her move out? And I said, that's great. And so I go, and I was going to help her move out, but then they decided they weren't going to move out. So I was driving around all over town. I, like, I, I drove down, way down here to Buena Vista Ferry, just to see the water. I, just, I was all over the place. I'm driving through the water. I took this truck everywhere. And I come back to my boss's house the next day, and he gets in the driver's seat, and he goes, you drove 250 miles? What in the world were you doing? And I was, I, I don't know. I was just excited. I think back to that, I think back to that time, and, I, and I'm thinking, I was so young then, and I can't believe I look back and I, and I say, that was 20 years ago. It feels like just a few years ago, right? What is your life? You're a mist that's here today and it's gone tomorrow, and you'll look back over your life and you say, somehow I thought that I could control the events of my life. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. I had no idea at the age of 19 that I'd be standing on a stage, and someone needs to answer that right now. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> or give it to me and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'll talk to him. You need Jesus, all right? All right. You should be in church. Why are you calling somebody in church right now? All right? Where was I? Where was I? That's, that's the question. Uh, and so, and so uh, what, <laughs> you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You're a mist that will just last a little while. And you think that somehow you can control the events of your life. And I think that as well. But life just seems to slip away from us. And here's the thing, what James is saying is he's saying, you have got to understand that the first way that's got to change, if you want to walk with God, if you want to have a relationship with God, you have got to stop and say, these plans are not just up to me. These plans are not just up to me. God is the one who directs my life. And there's, there's another mistake, though, that you can make here. You say, I don't know what to do. I'm just not going to do anything. Some of, some of you are not as driven as others, and that's okay. We love you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, but here's the thing. Some of you will refuse to make any decision. Well, God hasn't spoken to me yet. God hasn't done these things. But what, is, what does James say? He said, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It's not saying don't make goals. It's saying, listen, if the Lord wills, the goals that I've set in front of me, and uh, insofar as I've submitted them to God and said, God, what do you want from my life? Uh, insofar as that's taken place, if God, if this is your will, I'm going to move in this direction. And when you begin to move, God seems to close doors or open doors. God seems to lay out the red carpet for us, or he seems to keep us buttoned up and say, no, you shouldn't go do that. So the, the, one of the first things that has to happen is that you have to submit your plans to God. You have to see how that is going to change your life. One of the primary ways that we refuse to be reliant on God is in our planning. The posture of the heart oftentimes is not one of reliance upon God, but of autonomy and independence from God's authority. Let me ask you this. Are your plans submitted 
to God's authority. Because if you want to walk with God, that's what has to happen. That's what has to happen. You can't just make decisions and say, oh, whatever. No, your plans have got to be submitted. And what James says here is that you're, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. He's talking about people that are, in some ways, well-to-do. That would be all of us, by the way. We live in America. He's talking about people that are well-to-do, and he's saying all, all such boasting is arrogance. It's evil. There's this boasting that says, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go do that. It's not because, hey, y'all, I'm going to Hawaii. Take a picture of your feet at the airport, you know, something like that. Guess where I am? Oh, snap. I bet you wish you were here. Jealous. You know, that kind of a thing. So, um, But no. Oh, sorry. You just went to Hawaii, didn't you? Oh, no, not you. You're the wrong person. Sorry about that. Did you go to Hawaii? You didn't? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hope that you do sometime, okay? Uh, some, some of you just went to Hawaii. You should not feel bad. I'm glad that you experienced that. But here's the thing. Sometimes we're boasting. We're arrogant about what's, what's going on. That's not exactly what we're, we're talking about. What we're saying is this, is that your plans have got to be submitted to God. It's boasting. It's arrogant to say that somehow God isn't over my plans. Next thing is this, chapter 5, verse 1. He says, come now. Again, he's saying, hey, look, you, listen up for a second. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. This is a very uplifting story this morning. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Oh, that's, let's put that on a coffee mug, right? And just look at that every morning and just say, I'm, they're going to eat my flesh like fire. Mm. Sometimes we don't think about these things. What's it talking about? It's saying this. He's talking to Christians and he's, he's saying, he's talking about the wicked rich. He's talking about people who are rich and yet wicked with their stuff. If you think about this, I don't know if you've heard about this guy, uh, Martin uh, Shkreli. Uh, the news talked about him the other day as the most hated man in America. That's quite a title, right? I mean, that's, that's amazing. He's the most hated man in America. He bought this pharmaceutical company, and essentially he raised the price of one pill, a life-saving pill for people who are uh, women who are pregnant and folks with HIV, and he raised the price from $1,350 to $750 per pill. And he wrote this in an email to uh, one of his contacts. He said, I think it will be huge. We raised the price from $1,700 per bottle to $75,000. So $5,000 paying bottles at the new price is $370 uh, uh, million. Almost all of it is profit. And I think we'll get uh, three years of that or more. Should be a very handsome investment for all of us. Let's cross our fingers that the estimates are accurate. This is wickedness at its worst. Here's this guy who has bought this pharmaceutical company, and he's willing to kill people for his profits. Now, before you say, look at that horrible, horrible sinner, I just want you to think real quick that James is saying this to a local church. James is saying this to Christian people as a warning. And the warning is this, is that you could be sitting here as an American, one of the richest people in the world. Yeah, you don't have millions probably. If you do, we should talk afterwards. I mean, we probably going to have a building program at some point. I'm just kidding about that. Most of us don't have millions, but most of us are. In, in the scheme of things, we're some of the wealthiest people in the world. Just the fact that you live here, just the fact that you have a place to go at night probably, just the fact that you, that you can buy food. We are some of the richest people in the world. And James is saying this not so that it would fall on deaf ears and say, oh, yeah, watch out those rich people. No, he's saying this. You and I can just as easily slip into this and in many cases find ourselves as people who are acting like these wicked rich people. Now, how does this go along with this idea of submitting our lives to God and being under his direction? Look at what he says. He says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. You've gone after treasure, and that's the thing that you want. That's the thing that you need. Instead of being rich towards God, you've been rich towards yourself. He said, he says this. He's, he's, um, 
he, verse 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. He's saying, you're screwing over people. You're taking wages from them. You should have paid them their full wage. And what does that look like for all of us? All of us, on some level or another, sometimes withhold something. Sometimes we withhold something from someone. We're going after treasure in the last days. We're just building bigger barns and bigger barns so we can store more food and more food or whatever that we have. And then he says this, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. I hate to tell you this, but this is where most of us really fall prey to this. We live in luxury and in self-indulgence. How does that play out? It means this, whatever my heart desires... Whatever I think I need, whatever the thing that brings me the most pleasure, whatever I think brings me the the most happiness, that's the thing that I'm going to do. And the idea that I would help someone else with my finances, the idea that I would give back to God what really is already his because he has given it to me, the idea that I would do something else for someone else seems pretty far-fetched. And all of us have excuses, and we have good excuses. I have four little excuses at home. We're trying to make ends meet just like everyone else. We don't have unlimited funds. We're, we're trying to make things work in our life. But how easy is it for me in my home life to, to become very centered on the fact that I have kids? There's a lot of us in this room that have kids, but it's very easy for us to say, I'm going to do everything for my luxury, for my enjoyment, for my self indulgence. Even though it's for our own kids, it's for our family. How often do we act like the wicked rich and providing for ourselves, providing for ourselves, and yet we give nothing back to God? And maybe it's this, maybe it's this, I'm, I'm refusing to be generous with the funds that I have by giving back to God or giving to my community or serving in my local community because I'm more concerned about the things that I have. Guys, you have to understand this, that this is what the wicked person who is rich does. And James is reminding us of this here. And then he says, you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. What do they do to uh, steak when it's still living, right? Uh, That's a cow, by the way. And uh, (laughs) I just call it living steak, right? And so uh, what do they do to a cow? They try to fatten it up. I think, I don't know, they're feeding it lots of fattening things like McDonald's fries and stuff like that. And, and so uh, they, they try to get this thing fat because that's what brings about the best price. Prime meat means there's lots of marbling in there. If you didn't know that, marbling, there's fat in between the meat layers and things like that. And they check in the ribeye and they, I, I'm, I, I digress. And so um, it, it's one of my favorite subjects, by the way. But here's the thing is that we are fattening ourselves for the day of slaughter. It's like It's like this, the more that I self-indulge, the more that I act like I am not under God's provision, it only proves the point that I'm not under his rule and authority in my life. It doesn't mean that the more that you act like this, the more that God's going to say, ah, 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 I'm going to let you go, because we don't believe that at all. We don't believe that at all. We believe this, that once you've been saved, you're always saved. We believe this, that you cannot get out of God's grasp. No one can pluck you out of his hand. What James is saying here is that when we act like that, when we act like that, we're essentially doing the same thing that the wicked rich, the Martin Shkreli's of our world, we're doing the exact same thing. We're fattening ourselves for the day of slaughter. And James says, you have got to look out for this. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. And some of us are like, I've never condemned or murdered anybody, but you've hated. And you have condemned on some level. And James is saying, in order to walk with Jesus, if you believe the gospel, this cannot be a part of your life. If you're going to be under God's rule, under God's authority, then what has to take place is complete dependence on him and not on your wealth. Complete dependence on the joy that he brings and not on the things that you bring to your life. It's getting out of dependence on self and getting into dependence on God. That has to change. There's no other way. That's what it means to be a Christian, to say, Jesus, I trust you 
as my Lord and Savior, I trust you as the one who can change things in my life because nothing else can change. Because as long as I'm in authority over my life, I make my plans, I make the rules, I self-indulge because it is all about me. Jesus must be on the throne of your life. He must be the ruling authority in all things as it pertains to how you make decisions. Verse 7 of chapter 5. How you deal with problems. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. And what's he saying? He's saying this. When suffering comes, the first two things were about people who are well-to-do. I got this worked out, y'all. I've got plans. You might be somebody who's about, you're getting into college or you're about to get into college or you're like in your, your first year of college and so you've made plans. I'm, 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 I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that and then I'm going to do the other thing. So you, you're somebody who has a lot of hope in your life. Or you've got money, and so you're somebody who's got a lot of hope in your life, and it's not related to God. We're talking about people here that don't have hope because they're suffering. And what he's saying here is he's, he's saying, for those who have lots of resources, what has to happen is that they have to humble themselves. But the humble who are enduring suffering, who don't have those resources, have got to be patient. There has to be patience. There has to be patience with God, and you've got to wait like a farmer for the fruit to come up because God is going to bring fruit in your life, or God is going to do something that's amazing in, in our world, or you're just simply waiting for this life to be over because you're in the midst of suffering. Think of somebody who's in the midst of ISIS-controlled territory, and they believe that Jesus is the one true God. Can you imagine what's going through their minds as they read from James, and James says, you also be patient. Like, holy cow, God, I'm trying to be patient. And some of you are in the midst of circumstances where you're just saying, this is awful. You also be patient. Some of you are in the midst of suffering. Some of you are, are single moms. And the way that you had envisioned your life going is not the way that it went, hence the fact that you're a single mom now. He says, be patient. And he's not coming at you as if somehow, like, hey, suck it up. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, endure, endure in him, be patient. You have to understand that God is working. Dependence on God means I'm putting myself under his rule and authority, and I'm saying, God, he knows all. His plans, his rule, his authority is what matters. And some of you are saying, I went to college, and I got, and I got this degree, and I thought it was going to take me here, and it didn't take me here, and now I can't get a job, and I have a massive debt. Be patient. Be patient. Wait on him. What's he say next? He says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Establish your hearts. Use this time to say, God, the only resource that I have is you. My life is in shambles because of a broken marriage. My life is in shambles because I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. My life is in shambles because my kids are screaming at the top of their head. That's just me, though. And he's saying, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This, too, shall pass. And God sees it. And God knows it. And God knows what you're going through. And God knows what's happening your suffering is not going unnoticed. He has a plan for your life. It's probably not your plan. But be patient. Establish your hearts. Don't fight in the midst of that, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another. It says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. God is right there. He can hear. He knows what's taking place. He knows what's happening. He's watching over your life. He says, you have heard, in verse 11, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job 
and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He says, look back over the scriptures. If you read in the book of Job and you see his life, he's a guy who had everything, and God allowed everything to be taken away. And he says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Now, let me make a quick note here. Those stories in the Bible are not there for you to just gloss over. They're there for you to learn from. They're there for you to, to see and just see. I see what happened in Job's life. I see how Job was seen as a man of God, even though everything was taken from his life. And I got to tell you this. Some of you, you've never dealt with your doubts in your life. And so when, if you've never dealt with doubts in your life, when suffering comes and knocks you off of your high horse, when you think, I'm a Christian, I've got this together, I've got this worked out, I'm living according to what God wants me to do, and then what happens is that suffering comes and it just smacks you upside the head. Do you know what you need more than anything? You need steadfastness. You need the steadfastness of Job who says, listen, I cannot understand why you're doing this, but I'm, 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 I'm going to trust you. Okay. Establish your hearts. You've got to see that God has a purpose that's over and above. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Understand his purpose and that ultimately he's not out to get you. He has deep compassion on the things that you're dealing with. He is extremely merciful to you, even towards the mistakes that you've made. Even for a guy like Martin. And then lastly, the prayer of faith as it's titled. We do this by, we develop this habit of dependence on God by praying. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. That's, that's the first response. It's very basic. Things are not going well for you. Our first response oftentimes is I'm going to fix it myself. I've got to make this happen. I've got to make that happen. Where does your stress come from? Your stress comes from the, the thinking that somehow I've got to fix this. I've got to make this happen. The Christian who's living in dependence on God says this, that I've, I've got to ask God to fix this. This is underneath his purposes. He has compassion and mercy on me. He's the only one that can ultimately be compassionate and merciful towards me. He has shown me that through the gospel of Jesus Christ by sending his son to die on the cross willingly in my place for my sins. And so as a result, if I'm suffering, he understands suffering. And so therefore, I can pray to him and I can say, this is what I'm dealing with. But look at this. Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone cheerful? One of the hardest things to do is that when we're cheerful, what's happening when we're cheerful? Things have gone our way. Things are working out. You got the job. You got the raise. You got the girl. You got the, the team. You got whatever it was. So you got something. And as a result, there's cheer. Things are working out for you. Things are, things are panning out. Is anyone cheerful? You've got to sing your, pray your prayers. Let him sing praise. When we come together as a church, the reason why we're singing is because if we're cheerful, we sing praise. It's also a prayer that says this, I need to remember that he's in control, that he's the sacrifice for me. He's the one that ultimately matters in this. So let him sing praise. And then he says, if you're sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. What is this doing? You're developing a habit of saying, when I'm suffering, I go to God. When I'm happy, I go to God. When I'm sick, I go to God. I ask people to pray for me because I am sick. I don't just depend on medical means, although God may be very well using that to save your life, and you should honor that. Honor the gifts that God has given through our doctors, but also honor the fact that God is the one who can heal, even through those doctors. And then he says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and that simply means this. Insofar as that it is in the will of God that you would be uh, that you would be healed, God will do it. And he will also give you the faith to pray that you would be healed. That's ultimately what that means. And then he kind of takes a shift here and he begins to talk about a spiritual sickness. And he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another 
uh, and, and pray for one another that you may be healed. In some ways, sometimes our sin can in some ways cause sickness. Although we don't believe that every time you're sick, oh, what'd you do? What'd you do? What'd you, who'd you cheat? That's not how this goes. It can sometimes be. I've heard of it before. That sometimes there can be sickness that happens as a result of the deep inner stress of knowing that you sinned. And he's saying, confess your sins that you may be healed. Those two things may be connected. But here's the other thing, is that you can go to God in the midst of uh, prayer and you can say, God, this is where I'm at. You are the healer. You're the one. That means to be in dependence on him, not just for the good things that I do, but even in the bad things that I do, I can confess to my brothers and sisters, but I can also confess to him. I can go to him. Last thing. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What's that mean? We've just gone through a practical list of things. It's, it's your plans. It's your prosperity. It's the way that you're dealing with uh, the problems in your life. How are you dealing with the problems in your life? It's the way that you're praying. Listen, when we look into the community of faith, we see people who are acting irresponsibly in some way. You're making plans without really seeking God's direction in your life. Oh yeah, but God told me to go to the mission field and leave my wife and family. God did not tell you that. That's, that's a responsibility of the church. That's the responsibility of godly people to come and say, listen, I, I want to help you understand something that God would not put you in this position where you should be leaving your wife and kids in order to go serve him because that's not serving him. Your first mission field is to your family. And what James is saying here is he says, you've got to let him know. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. When somebody is wandering away from the truth, you and I have the responsibility to come and say, listen, your plans are not under the direction and leadership of God. Your finances, you are screwing over people in business. You, You keep doing this. You're withholding wages. I'm hearing from your employees. I heard from somebody that you did work for or, or, that, or, or that's working for you that you're not helping them. We have a responsibility to say, listen, that is not in line with who God is. You're not dependent on him. Money is on too high of a throne in your life. Your problems are, are misdirecting your life. Your problems are misleading you. You think that that should lead you to walk away from the faith, but you've got to establish your heart. You've got to remain steadfast. Walk with me. I'll love on you. I'll be with you. And then praying for one one another. So many times I, I talk with people, and let's say this even for myself. And they say, I just don't know how to make it happen. How do I make it happen to where I become somebody that is walking with God? How do, how do I become somebody who's dependent upon God? And I want to tell you, like, if you start with some of these most basic things, how am I simply just planning my life? Are my decisions being dictated by God? Am I really dependent upon him, asking him to lead me in this? So many times we make it too complicated, but James has made a way for us to say, where am I at in this in my life? Jesus was fully dependent on the Father. And he tells us to pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Won't you also pray that as well? If there really is a God, won't you pray that? Your kingdom come, your will be done. You might be in the middle of doubting. You might be in the middle of just saying, I don't know why I'm even here right now. I'm not sure why I showed up today. You might even go to a Christian college and say, I'm in the midst of doubt. I'm not sure I believe this stuff. What if you just said, God, I just want to try you And I want to say, your kingdom come and your will be done in my life. 
I want to live in dependence upon you because you have shown me the greatest act of love that ever was. You have shown me the greatest act of compassion and mercy that ever was, and I want to I at least try it. Won't you depend on God? I want to encourage you to do that because ultimately to follow your heart is to do whatever the world is telling you to do. To follow your heart is essentially just to act like everyone else. And I want to tell you, like, we love people that do whatever they want. We love people that hate us. We love them. We serve them no matter what. But if, if you're following your heart and you call yourself a Christian, you're going to fight back. You're going to hit back. You're going you're gonna to turn everyone off to the gospel. And i got to tell you guys, if we're going to love Jesus and live outward, you cannot follow your heart. When it comes to your sexuality and how, you, how that plays out, who you sleep with, who you look at, you cannot follow your heart. When it comes to, to your money, you cannot follow your heart. When it comes to the relationships that you have, you cannot follow your heart. The wisdom that comes down from God, it is pure, it is peaceable. It brings life to our city because we're not dependent on, on our desires and our needs. We want to gather together as God's people and be on mission together. Won't you join us in making our city better? Won't you join us in being people who say, I'm not going to follow my heart into these things. Won't you join us? Because God has something incredible planned for outward church. You can be a part of that. You can engage with the community instead of being an outlier and being somebody who's, who's kind of outside of the circle. You can engage with God's people and say, I want to be in this with you. Not to join a club, but to affect a city, to affect a world for the better. I pray that you would join me. Join us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be together in this, Lord, to ultimately be about your glory. Lord, our aim in life is not to facilitate our needs, per se, or the luxuries that we have around us, but Lord, to affect our city, the most blessed nation on the face of this earth, it would seem with the most wealth and the most powerful whatever. God, we have the ability, if anyone does, by your spirit and by your power to affect our community. Lord, we have the ability because we choose to be dependent on you to affect our family. We get to raise our sons and daughters to be people who are not selfish jerks, but to be people who are who are controlled by the, the idea that you love them because we have shown love to them and that we can serve our community. God, what would it look like if we were truly dependent on you? What would it look like? God, show us how incredible it could be. Would you draw us to yourself? Lord, some of us in here are just, you're doubting, like, I don't have what it takes to follow God. And you're right. You don't. God, you are the only one who can draw us to yourself. Like, I don't have what it takes to affect my community. And you're right, you don't. But God, you are the one with the great purpose and plan in life. And when we're following you and when we're walking with you, you are everything to us. And you can do amazing things in our homes, in our lives, in our cities. And God, ultimately, it brings us peace that is everlasting, that can never change, that's eternal. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.